Well, good morning again. We've learned from uh, social science that uh, there's this just dynamic of following the crowd, and the crowd has the ability to influence so much of our behavior uh, from a, a range of things, from how to cheer or not to cheer at a baseball game, or how fast to drive on the highway, how many has, you know, kind of speed, you know, you speed up when people are speeding by you, you just kind of go along, or which utensils to use in a fine dining experience when you all of a sudden lock up and you're not sure which spoon is for the soup and which spoon is for the sorbet later. Anybody ever do that? You start looking around at other people and watching what you should do. This dynamic helps us to understand Holy Week. Last week, we explored Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The crowd lined the streets, and they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, waving palm branches. But as the week unfolded with all of its twists and turns, we see the tide turning against Jesus. We see him being betrayed, arrested, denied, beaten, and crucified. And the crowd that was with him when he entered into Jerusalem, all of a sudden, they left, and they didn't stand with him. And sadly, most of the disciples didn't either. This reminds us that it is one thing to follow Jesus when the crowd is following. It is altogether another thing to follow him when it seems like, and seems is the operative word there, when it seems like it's going to end in death and defeat. And yet, praise be to God, Easter power is about new life. It's about new chances and the invitation to begin again and to return to the side of Jesus. Our text from Mark's gospel is by far and away the shortest account of the resurrection. It's 180 words when translated into English, which is about three tweets, if you want to count them by tweet characters. So let's hear Mark's account for the, uh, again, uh, as if we were hearing it for the first time with fresh ears. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, before we jump in and take a closer look this Easter morning, if you have your Bibles, you may notice that there is a Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. However, most translations in the last 50 years or so will add a note that says something along the lines, the most reliable early manuscripts and other ancient witnesses do not have a Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. What happened here? We don't really know. 
But what we do know is that the earliest and most reliable uh, manuscripts have the Easter account in Mark ending with the women trembling and afraid. It ends in a most abrupt manner. Now, to be sure, we know that the women eventually went and told others about Jesus. That's how we know this story and some of the other stories from the Gospels. But what I want us to focus on this morning is the brief statements that the angel made to the women in the tomb. The angel takes on the appearance of a young man. No wonder the women were startled. I mean, I mean think about it. The stone is rolled away unexplainably. They go into a dimly lit tomb, and sitting there is a young man on the right side, which is an interesting detail that Mark gives us. And then he almost nonchalantly starts talking with them, like you would talk with someone asking them for the next subway stop or directions to a nice restaurant. And look at what he tells them. He says, you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. And then he makes three short statements, essentially. He is not here. He is risen. Go tell his disciples and Peter, and he's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Now, we are concluding our series today based on the gospel of Mark. It was simply a beautiful life, our Lord Jesus, right? And one of the things that we've talked about in Mark is that it is a short, fast-paced, power-packed gospel. So I'm going to offer three short words for you to remember this morning. If you don't take anything else from you today on this Easter Sunday, take these things. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, you have hope, you have grace, and you have power. Just say those three with me. Hope, grace, and power. Now, I'm not going to let you go, though. I'm going to explain the three of them for a little bit. Our text opens, and it's just after sunrise. Before a sunrise, it's, of course, dark. Darkness would have been fitting for the mood. The women who went to anoint Jesus' body loved him, and they were no doubt grieving and filled with sorrow. I mean, think about it for a moment. They had just witnessed Jesus, their, their, their Lord, their friend, being brutally beaten and executed. Today, we would say that they would have to still be in a state of shock and suffering from PTSD, or PTSD was bound to set in. But they go, and they're following the customs of anointing the body. Interesting, Mark gives us detail that they're worried about who would roll the stone away, that it would be too heavy for them. They knew they couldn't do it, but they went anyway. If you've ever experienced grief, you know that it weakens you in every way emotionally, spiritually, and even physically. When I counsel people who have experienced loss, one of the things I tell them is make sure you take a nap. Make sure you get enough sleep. Grief can sap all of our energy. But they loved Jesus and they wanted to give him a proper burial. Anyone who has made final arrangements know that they are an act of love. You want to get things just right. You pay attention to the details because that is a way to hold your loved one close. It's a way to, to hold them in your heart and to honor them. So imagine their surprise when they see this angel and they hear the words, he's not here. He is risen. And Mark paints a very clear picture that they're just absolutely terrified and silent. Have you ever felt weakened? 
by grief and sorrow? Perhaps you feel that way this morning. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've lost a dream. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you're just flat out overwhelmed with life circumstances. You wonder how in the world you're going to roll the big, boulder-like obstacles away in your life. Hear the good news of Easter. Hear the hope of Easter. Because God raised Jesus from the dead, you can have hope. God rolled away the sting and the stench of death. There's nothing too big in your life that God can't roll away or give you the power and the strength to endure. And if you come to him and if you trust him with the boulders that are in your life, the boulders that seem too big, one of two things are going to happen. He will remove that boulder from your life or he will give you the strength. He will make you bigger and stronger to endure the hardship and struggle. He will do not only all of this because of his power, but with the depth of love that he has for you. You see, the resurrection reminds us of the hope and it reminds us of the power of God. But know that the hope and the power is for you first because Jesus went to the cross and has a deep, deep love for you. God wants you to experience the hope of new life. I read a story recently about a chaplain who uh, served on a, a small little island in Indonesia. It's an island that we used as an airstrip in World War II. And when the chaplain named Leon Maltby, when he arrived, he had nothing but a 20 by 60 canvas that he could use for a chapel. He didn't have a floor. He didn't have any chairs or pews, no altar. He didn't have anything. And so he found some, some service people to, to make some pews and to make uh, an altar and, uh, but then he realized he didn't have any communion cups. He didn't have anything that he could sort of conduct worship with. And so he went and he found 80 50 caliber bullets. He found brand new ones. And he took these bullets and he hollowed all the gunpowder, all the lead, all the stuff out. And he wanted new ones because he insisted that he didn't want to use any bullets that were used for violence or death. He hollowed them out. He welded them. Now, I don't know how he found a torch on this island. It almost sounds like the professor from Gilligan's Island, but it's a true story. Trust me. And he, he welded them, and then he molded them into communion cups. And he used them to serve communion. Just a, a short time later, he was also the first Protestant chaplain to go to Japan. And he took the communion set with him, and he held communion there with Japanese with Japanese uh, people and with some of the troops. And it, it was so moving to the Japanese pastor that eventually they saved the communion kit and now it is in a museum in Daytona Beach, a veterans museum in Daytona's Beach. And it has a sign on it that reads this. The pastor clearly understood the significance of instruments of death becoming a symbol of eternal life. This is the hope. Of Easter. Death gives way to life. The cross gives way to the empty tomb. The angel also said to the women, Go tell his disciples and Peter. This means there's Easter grace for you today. 
The brief backstory on Peter is that he was in the inner circle of disciples. Jesus had told them that he would be a rock and that he would be a leader. And Peter was sort of this confident, sort of talk first, think second kind of people. He insisted to Jesus that he would go to Jerusalem. He would stay with him and he would go to Jerusalem and die with him. But when the heat was on, Peter denied Jesus three times. Can you imagine that? One minute pledging your life, your life to Jesus, saying that you'll go all the way with him and you'll die with him. And then the next minute when the heat is on, denying him to a stranger. By the way, his denial, his colossal failure is recorded in all four of the Gospels. You see, Peter died a different kind of death when he denied Jesus, didn't he? His dream of staying faithful died. His courage died. His reputation as a rock died. Can you imagine what Peter must have felt when the women did get to him? Remember the angel said, go tell disciples and Peter. Can you imagine what he must have felt when the women got to him and how surprised not only was he to hear about the resurrection of Jesus, but when he had time to let it really sink in, how surprised he must have been that God wanted him in the know. That even though Peter denied Jesus, Jesus was not denying him. Oh my. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Even in this, God is reaching and taking the initiative and essentially telling Peter that he did not need to be defined by his worst moment, his darkest failure, that he could be given a new beginning, that he could be made new and he could be restored. And that's what happened. John tells us at the end of his gospel that he and Jesus had a one-on-one on the beach. And Jesus restored him fully. You know what Jesus did? Jesus resurrected his dream. He resurrected his reputation. He resurrected his character. He resurrected his integrity. He gave him his righteousness. Peter went on to become leader of the first church. And you know what? If you read the Bible cover to cover, do you know what the last word on Peter is? Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. It's the last word on Peter. Have you ever failed? I know I have. Some of you may be here today and thinking there's no way I can come back. There's no way I can come back. I have failed. Hear a word of Easter grace this morning. Jesus died for your sins. He comes to you in the midst of your failure and will forgive you and restore you. All you need to do is open your heart and turn to him. He is there with God. Failure is not fatal. I read this fascinating reflection on grace earlier this week, and I didn't catch the name of the author, but let me just share it with you. It's a reflection on the thief on the cross. It reads like this. 
How does the thief on the cross fit into your theology? No baptism, no communion, no confirmation, no mission trip, no volunteerism, no church clothes. He couldn't even bend his knees to pray. He didn't say the sinner's prayer, and among other things, he was a thief. Jesus didn't take away his pain, heal his body, or smite the scoffers. Yet it was the thief that walked into heaven the same hour as Jesus, simply by believing. He had nothing more to offer than his belief that Jesus was who he said he was. No spin from brilliant theologians, no ego or arrogance, no shiny lights or crafty words, no haze machine, donuts, or coffee in the entrance. Just a naked, dying man on a cross, unable to even fold his hands to pray. The last word on your life does not have to be failure. God comes to you with his forgiveness and wants to give you a new beginning. Go tell the disciples and Peter. That's grace. And then our last statement. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. What I want us to see from this statement is the power of the resurrection. Mark tells us at the Last Supper that Jesus told the disciples, after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. The word going ahead means more than simply, I will get there sooner than you. Like a race? No. It is meant to describe a leader in the same way that a commander leads troops into battle. In Galilee, Jesus is going ahead and he will now lead his church in the battle against evil. Why did he gather them? Matthew tells us that Jesus gathered his disciples in Galilee and commissioned them to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Jesus does not call his disciples to a task without giving, him the, giving them and us the power to accomplish the task. And after his resurrection, after his ascension, the Holy Spirit came and empowered the disciples to pursue the global mission of Jesus. And we're sitting here and people are sitting in churches all around the world today because they did. Because they claimed the resurrection power. And don't miss this. Jesus told them on the Thursday, if you will, of Holy Week, the Last Supper, hey, I'm going to go ahead of you into Galilee. And then now the angel says, he told you he'd be in Galilee, now get there. The fulfillment of the promise, the power of our faith, the power of the resurrection, rest on the promise of Jesus being alive. In a Wall Street Journal article, George Weigel gives a combination sort of history lesson and apologetic for the resurrection. He writes, there is no accounting for the rise of Christianity without weighing the revolutionary effect on those nobodies or disciples of what they called the resurrection. They encountered one whom they embraced as the risen Lord, whom they first knew as the itinerant Jewish rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, who died an agonizing and shameful death on a Roman cross outside Jerusalem. N.T. Wright makes clear that the first generation of Christians, when they were asked the question why they were Christians, they simply said, because Jesus was raised from the dead. That's why we're Christians. And as the disciples worked this out, thinking and working and thinking and living out the life of faith, the article mentions that so much changed 
about the ancient world in everyday life. A new dignity was given to women in contrast to the classical culture. A self-denying health care provided to plague sufferers. A focus on family health and growth. A remarkable change in worship from the Sabbath to Sunday. A willingness to embrace death as martyrs because they knew that death didn't have the final word in the human story. And this last one I love, living as if they knew the outcome of history itself. And they did and we do. He suggests that this could only happen because of the Easter effect. The changes that followed Good Friday occurred only if they believed in the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus called them to change the world. And He gave them the power to do so, and they did. And we have that same Easter power living in us today. Wherever we go, wherever we take this story of grand stories, we can change the world because of the power of the fulfilled promise of the resurrection. You know, we can all go to Galilee today. I don't mean taking a trip, but symbolically. If you're not a follower of Jesus, please know He invites you there to see that He's alive and working in the world. Galilee for you may be that moment when you have your questions about faith answered. It may be when a friend tells you about their experience of faith. It may be when you see the witness of the church in the world and God's people on mission. If you've never encountered Jesus in a life-giving way, tell Him that you want Him to be your Lord and Savior. Tell Him you want to begin a new life of faith in Him and then take that step in faith. If you've been a follower of Jesus but you feel your faith has lost his sense of power. Go back to Galilee. Interesting in Mark's Gospel, Galilee is where the disciples were first called. It was where Jesus performed miracles and healings. Galilee essentially was the birthplace of their faith. If you're a Christian here, but you've not been active in your faith, come home. Come back to Galilee. Come back. It will give you power and a renewed life of faith. Jesus, what a beautiful life. And his life can be yours today. For whatever reason, if you've gone the way of the crowd and not the way of Jesus, hear his invitation to come home and find hope and grace and power. If you're here today and sorrow has depleted you, hear his invitation to rest and find your strength in him. If you've lost your way because of failure or you've fallen away from the faith, hear his invitation to receive his grace. No matter what your circumstances, I invite you to say yes to Jesus. Meet him in Galilee. He's waiting for you there. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the resurrection power of Jesus, for the fulfillment of that promise, for the new hope, the grace, and the power that are ours when we trust in him. God, I pray for every person here today that, that we would return to Galilee. Lord, for those who have never met you, I pray that they would open their hearts and confess faith in you today. 
to receive forgiveness from sins and claim you as Lord and Savior. For those who need to return home and who need to come home to faith, Lord, I pray for a renewed vision of faith, a renewed sense of purpose and mission in following you. Lord, animate your church with your Holy Spirit. Help us to be, Lord, on mission through the resurrection power of Jesus, proclaiming new hope, new grace, and new power. For it's in the name of Jesus, our resurrected Savior and our Lord, we pray. Amen. Let me invite you to stand as we sing and as we celebrate with our closing hymn, The Power of Easter, Christ the Lord is Risen Today. I invite you to stand and sing.